This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, and welcome to the first Money and Markets podcast of 2022. I'm Laura Souter. On today's episode, we'll be chatting to lots of fund managers about their investing regrets from 2021, and we'll also be looking at the big changes coming for your finances this year. I'm joined today by Tom Selby. Hello, Laura. And also today, we'll be looking at review of the age we can all claim our state pension. And Leith Calliff from AJ Bell will be here to bring us up to date on everything that's happened in markets over the Christmas break. So first, let's go to that markets news. Now, Leith, obviously markets are closed for some of the Christmas period. Um, But has anything really big life changing happened in the past two weeks in markets? Um, yeah, hi Laura. I, th- I think probably there, there there is some stuff that's been going on. I think that's largely down to the fact that um, fears over the kind of spread and uh, severity of the um, micron wave um, have have diminished. Um, so we've seen a bit of a, a bit of a late Santa rally in stock markets um, over the Christmas period. We probably have to bear in mind that because, as you say trading is kind of closed down for a number of days not many people about and not making huge trades at trading probably quite trading volumes are quite thin uh but we we have seen that the FTSE put put on almost five percent in the last two weeks um of uh of of 2021 um and that that's really putting it now at its highest level since that big crash of, of february when obviously we had that uh, you know the, the the, the first lockdown was announced, and it's now actually kind of really within touching distance of of its of its pre pre pandemic level, despite the fact that obviously case numbers are really are really big um, in terms of coronavirus. Um, but I guess a, a lot of the kind of fears of the social restrictions that might come along with that have have receded, and that's really kind of shown in the kind of shares that have have have, have prospered a lot of the travel and leisure shares bouncing back really so um, um you know things like whitbread intercontinental hotels iag which is um, the parent company of british airways up 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 10 over a couple of weeks um and really kind of shrugging off the kind of a, a, a micron wave and, and saying actually um things things are looking rosier than we thought definitely at the beginning of december when i, I think if you remember there was a bit of a market sell-off um because of that news coming out of, uh, of south africa so we're only a couple of days into the new year really but um the share prices have held up so uh, a fairly positive start to the new year as well and christmas is usually a decent period for supermarkets as everyone rushes to buy all their food and booze for the for the festive period so how did they fare over december yeah well, well pretty well um if you look at the latest um, sort of data that's out from uh, Kantar World Panel, which is a, a company which compiles this stuff. Um, so the, the sales in December came in at £11.7 billion. Pounds. Um, that's grocery sales. And, and that's just a touch lower than last year. Um, and that's pretty good when you think about it, because last year, um, no one had really any option apart from to sit at home and kind of, you know, um, eat food and guzzle booze really did they so there was you know a very very big incentive to go out to the shops last year there was a bit this year wasn't there because I mean there were some sort of social restrictions we know that kind of a lot of Christmas parties etc were called off but it seems that that actually kind of in, in, encouraged people um, to, to go to go to the supermarkets or to order stuff online as well 
Um, so it was a very sort of it was a bumper year in terms of the value of, um, of of sales, much like much like last year. There were some winners and losers with that in terms of the food categories. Um, mince pie sales were actually up seven percent on last year. Sixty two million pounds worth of, of mince pies bought over over December. Uh, chocolate sales were up twenty one percent. Another one that caught my eye was indigestion tablets were up eight uh, percent as well. Uh, so obviously a bit of a sort of barbell approach to portfolio management going on there with the, with the Christmas dinner. Um, and um, sprouts, the kind of humble but divisive sprouts, uh, down three percent um, sales and uh, around half of households having sprouts, which I thought was a bit low actually. Um, I expected actually more people would probably have sprouts, but there we go. Um, so. Um, you know, those, those figures do kind of all kind of include an element of price inflation as well. So prices up around 3.5% um, over the year, Cantar reckon. Um, so we do need to see um, sort of uh, see how far those kind of sales figures then figure figure into into uh, stock market profits for the uh, for the for the for the retailers for the supermarkets, um, but actually the kind of figures that, that were out were actually enough to push up the shares, particularly Cardo, um, which was which was one of the winners. So seeing its sales actually grow year on year, and that might might be because of the type with M and S. Um, if you think about kind of M and S and what's what it's associated with, it's it it, it tends to be um, occasion shopping and particularly at Christmas. So obviously they might have got a little bit of a bump from that as well. And this year started with a bit of a big bang to market. So tech giant Apple has hit the milestone of being the first company to be valued at $3 trillion. That's right. Yeah. Pretty massive amount. It's an unimaginable amount, really, isn't it? Um, I mean, to put it in some kind of context, um, the whole FTSE 100, um, so the 100 biggest companies in the UK stock market is currently worth $2.7 trillion, so slightly less um, than Apple. And, you know, the FTSE 100 has some pretty big companies like, you know, Shell, Unilever, AstraZeneca, HSBC, you know, there's not, not a lot of shrinking violets in, in the list. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a pretty big milestone, I think, um, you know, a very profitable year 2021 for, for Apple. Uh, profits actually grew 65%. The company returned $100 billion to, to shareholders in, in buy, share buybacks and, 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 and also dividends. Um, I think the company's also been pretty clever in kind of supplementing, you know, kind of sales of iPhones and iPads, um, which obviously kind of is still a core of its business. But it's supplemented that with, with extra services um, that kind of generate revenue as well. So, I mean, you've got things like the App Store, which generates revenue, Apple Music, um, and it's getting to Apple TV as well. Um, cloud storage, Apple Pay, you know, all this stuff, um, you know, you know, keeps keeps the kind of Apple kind of cash register ringing. Um, and, you know, all the devices that it's got, all the millions of devices that it's got all across the world are basically very mini sales outlets for all of these things. And there also, there's also talk about it getting to the electric car market as well, which would, I think, be kind of quite, quite interesting because uh, that's obviously kind of a, an area which is, is pegged pretty pretty big growth. So, you know, it's been obviously a huge success story, you know, launched in 1976, allegedly in a garage, um, and now it's worth $3 trillion. I think probably for some people there will naturally be some uh, alarm bells ringing. Um, I think one of the things that strikes me is how quickly, you know, Apple has really ratcheted through the gears. Um, so, you know, it, it reached $1 trillion market cap only in August 2018, it then got to two trillion in August 2020, and it's now at three trillion 
um, already just uh, just a, a little over a year later. So the kind of speed with which that happened is quite breathtaking and perhaps a little bit frightening as well. And also the valuation of the stock is currently trading at, at just over 30 times earnings. Um, which is it's a pretty it's a pretty lofty price tag, particularly because you know analysts are not expecting the same growth that we've seen um, over over the last couple of years because the pandemic has I guess prioritised p- people spending on stuff like phones and entertainment because you can't go out or, or, or do anything for for large stretches of time. Um, so actually, kind of the consensus is that now you know Apple's Apple's earnings are going to grow by around fourteen percent over the next three years. Whereas, you know, over the last year, they've grown by, by 70%. So that's another bit of a headwind as well. And I think there are there is kind of, you know, kind of a, a bit more kind of regulatory scrutiny of the, of the tech companies coming down the road. And obviously, a lot of the environment that they work in is, 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 is highly competitive as well. And throw on top of that as well, you've got the fact that interest rate ri- rises look like they're coming along this year. And that, uh, along with inflation, tends to um, diminish the value of, you know, cash flows that are further in the future which a lot of these these valuations are are, are based on i mean you know Apple, as, as as we've just discussed, is a is a hugely profitable company already, but a lot of its price tag is also is also kind of predicated on on it being able to grow those as well. So, um, you know, that's that's really been the story of the last sort of five years, ten years, really, is this kind of dominance of, of of the tech companies, and you know, it's it is astonishing. We keep looking at it, and you know, they they do keep kind of you know confounding the doubters. Um, you know, whether that will remain the case uh, for twenty twenty two remains to be seen. Thanks, Leith. Next up, we thought it'd be useful for you all to have the dates in your diary when big changes to personal finances are going to happen in 2022. Now, there's a whole host of changes coming down the track from the introduction of a whole new tax to paper notes being phased out. So, Laura, let's kick off with January seems like a sensible place to start. Are there any big changes that people need to be aware of this month? Changes have already happened, Tom. We're already behind wow. the times. Um, so from the 1st of January, rail fares increased. So they increased by 3.8%. Um, and this is the increase for commuter costs, so for kind of season tickets. Um, it's the largest rail fare hike for a decade. But it is the way rail fares are done is the increase, you're going to have to bear with me here, the increase is based on the rate of inflation in the previous July. And it's based on the RPI rate of inflation. So that was 3.8% last July. Um, but of course, if a RPI inflation, um, a more recent measure of RPI inflation had been used, that increase would be much higher because that inflation is sitting at about 7% at the moment. So 3.8% rise, but could have been much, much larger if we're going to put a positive spin on it. Um, Indeed. And the other, the other change in January is there's been a tweak to the rules around inheritance tax. And it means that uh, if you've got an estate with no inheritance tax to pay and the person who's died was um, domiciled in the UK, then they don't need to provide full accounts. So it basically means there's less paperwork for about 230,000 people. Okay, that sounds like good news, basically. Mm-hmm. What about February? Have we got anything to look forward to or not to look forward to in the chilly month of February? So probably Chile is very topical because the biggest thing happening in February is that the next rate will be announced for the energy price cap. Um, these didn't used to be 
kind of headline news necessarily, but because energy prices have risen so much and the price cap has gone up by so much, um, there's lots more eyes on this. Now, the rate won't come into effect until April, so you have a bit of a time lag, but it'll be announced what it's going to be in February. There's lots of estimates out there, but um, it's expected to rise. Uh, Cornwall Insight is one um, uh, company that's provided a prediction, and they think it's going to rise by 51% based on their calculations of <sighs> what energy prices have done. So that takes the um, average tariff for someone on typical usage up to just over £1,900 a year. So it's big increase for people so lots of people are going to be keeping an eye out for for that announcement painful and we're we're expecting another bank of england interest rate announcement as well is that right yeah early february we're expecting that so obviously we had an increase in december when there was a bit of a surprise increase to the bank rate um to a quarter of a percent but there's lots of expectations that it might rise again in February, obviously, depending on all of the economic data that comes out around then and um, things like how the this latest variant plays out, um, the economic impact that Christmas had, things like that. But um, generally what markets are expecting is that rates will end this year around 1%. So it's obviously quite a big increase on where we are now. Um, but that is obviously a very long run estimate. So um, it's definitely not baked in. Okay, one for people to keep an eye on. Um, I guess April and the tax year end is the next big one for for savers and investors. Um, various different things coming down the track. Probably worth caveating this with the, with the fact that we're we're likely to get a budget in March, which may or may not introduce more changes than the ones we're about to list, but we'll obviously keep you informed of those as and when they come ahead. So in terms of what we've got in the calendar at the moment, so the state pension is going to increase. Um, It used to increase in line with the triple lock. However, the triple lock has been suspended for 2022-23. So it means that the state pension is just going to rise in line with inflation at 3.1%. So that was because Average earnings increased by over 8% and the government felt that was too high a price to pay during a pandemic. So that means that the full flat rate state pension will increase from £179.60 per week to £185.15 per week. And the basic rate state pension, so that's for people who reach state pension age before um, April 2016, that will increase from £137.60 per week to £141.85 per week. We're also going to have new national insurance rates, of course. So these are the reforms to national insurance introduced to pay for extra money for the NHS and for long-term care as well. So there'll be an extra 1.25 percentage points on national insurance for employers and employees. And I guess the other big one to keep an eye on and to think about will be the various different frozen allowances that we've got as well. So there's a freezing to the personal allowance as well as the income tax thresholds. The capital gains tax allowance will be frozen. The dividend allowance will be frozen. The lifetime pensions allowance frozen at just over a million pounds until the end of this parliament and things like the ISA annual allowance of £20,000 and the pensions annual allowance remaining the same as well. So the pensions annual allowance at £40,000. So I think issues like fiscal drag will become uh, become something that lots of people have to think about as well. You'll have people, particularly with those income tax thresholds being being frozen, lots of people being pulled into being higher rate taxpayers or into basic rate taxpayers who previously were 
were basic rate taxpayers or didn't pay any tax income tax at all. So that'll be something that I think everyone's going to have to navigate and think about as we move into a new a new tax year. Is there, are there any obvious ones I've missed off there, Laura? I'm sure there are lots of changes coming through. Um, the the national insurance increase also impacts um, investors and the self-employed. So dividend tax rates yes. are increasing by um, 1.25 percentage points too. Um, so that means that anyone who earns dividends on their um, investment portfolio that isn't in an ISA or a pension um, will potentially face a larger tax bill. And like you mentioned, Tom, that dividend tax-free allowance, so the £2,000 that you can earn from dividends every year before you pay tax, that's been frozen as well. Um, so that will remain um, the same. So potentially higher tax bill for dividend payers. Um, and then the national living wage is also going to increase in April um, so this is um, good news for those uh, lower earners. And so this means that someone who's aged, there's different rates for different age bands, mm. um, but it means that someone who's aged 23 or over, who's on the minimum wage and is working 37 and a half hours a week, will see their pay rise by more than £1,000 a year. So it's a good um it's a good increase. It's a good percentage increase as well, the, the um, amount that different rates are rising by. Of course, some of that is going to be eaten up by the tax rises that we've just talked about. Um, but for lots of people, they will still end up better off. Yeah, I mean, pro- probably worth noting as well on those frozen thresholds that if you're a, a basic rate taxpayer who who drifts into becoming a, a higher rate income taxpayer as a result of the freezing of the tax thresholds, then things like pension contributions all of a sudden become potentially more valuable to you. So if you're a higher rate taxpayer, then you'll you'll receive tax relief at 40%, whereas, whereas if you're a, a basic rate taxpayer, then, then your tax relief will be paid at, at 20%. So I think April, a good time of year to to revisit your finances. Think about how, how all these things are going to affect you and make sure as, as, as little as possible of your of your money is going to going to the tax man. So there'll be lots more changes coming. I'm sure there'll be more changes in the budget and, and we'll update you on those. Um, Moving further further into the year, into September. I can't believe we're already talking about September 2022 and it's only January, but there we go. Um, if you've got any 20 or £50 notes snatched away, then those can't be used after September the 30th, 2022. Now, I'm not sure how common it is, frankly, for people to have £20 and £50 cash at the moment, particularly post-pandemic, but I'm sure lots of people will continue to, to, to use cash who need to think about this. Um, some some banks in the post office may still allow these withdrawn notes to be deposited into customers' accounts after September 30th. But I, I think the the advice to to most people would be if you've if you've got some loose twenty pounds or fifty pounds at the moment, then think about spending them first, using them to buy your, your shopping or whatever, and and consider moving moving away from those notes because it's going to be more difficult to to spend them after September 30th, 2022. Um, And I think the final one that I've got for December this year um, is, so the government had launched a scheme um, to guarantee 95% mortgages. So it was in a bid to kind of help first time buyers um, in the in the mortgage market um, and to encourage the banking industry to lend to riskier borrowers with small deposits. Um, That scheme is due to come to an end um, in December this year. Although, of course, everything depends on what the government decides to do they may well decide to extend it um so just one to bear in mind and so tom while we're talking of changes that are happening let's skip back to 2021 for a moment because there was a review announced before christmas that um potentially affects when we're all going to be eligible for the state pension so mm. tell us more 
Yeah, so this this review was announced in in mid in mid December into the the state pension, how the state pension is uh, is structured, and specifically how how long we all um, receive the the state pension in retirement. So quite a broad um, review. So just a reminder: at the moment, the state pension age is sixty six. If you receive the the full flat rate state pension, then you get £179.60 per week. That's just over £9,300 per year. There are already plans in place to increase the state pension age to 67 by 2028 and then to increase the state pension age again to 68 by 2046. Um, as background, the, the previous government signalled its intention to speed to speed up the increase to, to a state pension age of 68 by, to 2039, so to push that forward by seven years. That was in response to, to demographics and rising life expectancy and also the, the cost of providing the, the state pension. Now, in, in terms of why this review is happening, well, the government has to have it. And um, so the Pensions Act 2014 legislated for a review of the uh, the state pension to take place. That needs to be completed by 2023. And so this review is going to take two parts. So the first part will be a, 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 an official review by the government actuary into the latest life expectancy trends. And then there'll be a second part of the review, which will look at other factors. So that will consider things like recent trends in life expectancy in different parts of the United Kingdom. So different parts of the United Kingdom have varying life expectancies. So if you look at the, the difference between the the, 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 place, the parts of the country that have got the highest life expectancy versus the lowest, that can be up to a decade difference. So the review will consider what that might mean um, for the state pension system and whether any changes to the state pension system need to be made to reflect that. So at the moment, Everybody gets a flat rate of state pension, regardless of their their health and regardless of um, regardless of uh, of where they live and, and, and other factors as well. The only thing that matters is whether or not you've paid thirty five years of national insurance contributions and have reached state pension age. So once you get to that point, everyone gets the same amount. So that will be considered. Um, they'll also consider whether or not it remains right for there to be a fixed proportion of adult life people should on average spend uh, expect to spend over state pension age. So at the moment, the government says that on average it expects you to spend up to a third of your adult life in receipt of the state pension. And that's the, that's the, the mechanism that's used to decide when the state pension age should be. So the review will look at whether or not that needs to continue to be the case. Um, and it'll also look at metrics which enable state pension costs and the importance of sharing those fairly between generations um, when taking into account decisions over the state pension. So quite a broad ranging review and I'd say nobody should expect any immediate changes and nobody should expect any radical changes. Of course it's possible that we'll get changes but it's possible that the government will will look at this review and and decide that the system that we have in place on balance is the right one and the the state pension ages that we have in place and the proposals to increase those state pension ages are the right ones on balance as well. Um, I guess the the interesting background to all of this is of course COVID-19 and the impact that that's had on life expectancy in the UK. So if you look at the, the latest life expectancy to statistics um, in between 2018 and 2020, average life expectancy at birth fell by 7.8 weeks in England and 11 weeks in Scotland. So people may be expecting that because we've seen a fall in life expectancy as a result of the 
pandemic that potentially the government may decide it can afford to um, to not increase the state pension age or to increase the state pension age slower than it had previously planned to. Um, can't rule out that that will be the case, but I think the, the counterpoint to that will be that life expectancy in general has been increasing over a number of decades, which is why that state pension age, uh, those state pension age increases have been put in place. You also have to remember that the the Treasury finds itself in quite a difficult fiscal position at the moment. And so any changes to the plans to increase the state pension age will cost the Treasury huge sums of money and sums of money that, that Chancellor Rishi Sunak may decide he can't afford to, to pay at this time. Um, and you also need to consider the fact that we don't yet know the long-term impact that coronavirus will have on population life expectancy. So we know that in that period, 2018 to 2020, life expectancy fell. And that was obviously during the teeth of the pandemic when coronavirus was rushing through care homes and was causing lots of people to die earlier than they otherwise would have done. But obviously, we're now in a world where we have vaccines, we have boosters, um, lots of people have been naturally infected by the virus as well. So what we don't know at this stage, and what hopefully this review will, will, will be able to determine by the time it's done is the extent to which life expectancy falls experienced during the, during the pandemic are a, a temporary phenomenon or something that's going to be more permanent and more and more and more wedged into the UK state pension system. So it's an interesting one. I think it's one to keep an, an, an eye on, but we we really have no idea where it will go or whether it'll make any changes either to to when we receive the state pension or, or how much we receive in, in in state pension either. All that has left me just wondering whether I'm ever going to get my state pension. But <laughs> I'm guessing you can't tell me that, Tom. I can't, unfortunately, no. One day I will be able to, but not today. So we all know that fund managers are very good about talking about the stock picks that have done very well, but it's just as telling to look at the ones that they've picked that haven't done so well. And luckily, some fund managers are willing to talk about the investments that didn't quite go to plan. So Tom Sieber from Shares Magazine has been catching up with those managers about the picks that didn't do well in 2021. Thanks, Laura. Yes, everyone's human and all sensible fund managers would concede that they're going to get some investment calls wrong from time to time. We spoke to some managers about the stocks which didn't work for them in 2021, why they went wrong and whether there are any lessons they can draw from what happened. First up, we've got James Henderson from Henderson Opportunities Trust, who talks us through what went wrong in 2021 with his long term holding Ceres Power. Ceres Power is a fuel cell company. This is providing energy from smaller scale buses to ultimately large power stations. Ceres Power has been in the portfolio for seven years. And for much of that time, it did very little share price wise because fuel cells, the technology is well known, but it has been the commercialization of the fuel cell that has been demanding and difficult. It's needed Bosch and it's needed the Chinese to help with the commercialization of it and their capital too. They, Bosch became a large shareholder in Ceres, as did the, the Chinese. Ceres Power's share price in 2020 was very strong. It went up several times because the whole area became of great interest to investors as the belief that the need to, to move away from fossil fuels resulted in increased interest, but also the realisation that something had to happen. Expectations probably got ahead of themselves 
and therefore for this year there's been it's it's drifted back but actually operationally it's making very good progress there's an, ex- an example there of a company's share price returning to earth after a stellar 2020 although it sounds like nothing fundamentally has changed in terms of the investment case next we hear from kartik kumar at artemis alpha trust about just eat which had retreated below its pre-COVID levels, despite the significant boost to the takeaway sector provided by the pandemic. Just Eat did very well through the pandemic and its share price increased significantly. However, since then, in in the year to date, its share price has declined steadily and it's trading below pre-pandemic levels. This is despite the pandemic lasting much longer than most people would have expected initially. The reason, the primary reason for this is concerns about competitive intensity in the industry and what that means for profitability. On this, I'd make two points. Firstly, a loss in an industry like this is more subjective than it might be in others. Uh, And and by that, I mean, all investments that you make in the business actually go through its P&L. And that degree, to to that extent, that there's some element of a loss that is discretionary. The other point I'd make is that food delivery remains in its early stages. Both penetration and frequency, that is the the number of times users use it and how many users you have in a given country, um, are both low. And I expect those to rise in the long run. So with Just Eat, I sort of asked the question, which I've often heard the famous investor Bill Miller say, which is how much do you make if you're right? And in my view with Just Eat, given that it trades on a low multiple of its estimated profitability with a long growth runway ahead, my view is quite a potentially large amount. Despite a disappointing 2021, clearly Kartik still thinks there's potential for long-term growth in this space as more and more of us order in food at home. Neil Godin from the Artemis Positive Future Fund talks about Coursera, a new addition to the market in the US, which had a tricky time of it last year. You know, you can get a 70 inch TV on your on the wall of your house and it's materially cheaper than a TV would have been in the 1980s. But yeah, education is more expensive and we still have a professor stand in front of us and teach us. It is likely that our children live well in excess of 100. They work well in excess of their 60s. So why educate them the vast majority of the time before they hit the age of 22? This is a sector that is ripe for disruption. It needs disruption. It needs reimagining the way we do it. Coursera is a company that IPO'd in 2021. It sits at the heart of disruption of the education sector. It sits in an area where it develops online education programs. It works with 80 million people um, on its website. They offer courses that are affordable, can be accessed from anywhere. The shares have been weak, mainly on concerns around is is online education just a COVID-based phenomenon, which is going to go away as we learn to live with the pandemic or the pandemic disappears altogether. We argue that if you look longer term, we think this is a sector that needed disrupting anyway, and COVID has just moved that disruption along. One of the key challenges for investors is likely to be determining which of the pandemic winners are likely to hold on to their gains and the advances that they made um, post the pandemic. So it's interesting to hear Neil's comments on that business. Next, Midwind International's manager, Simon Edelston, talks us through what went wrong with one of his holdings, offshore wind farm specialist Orsted, in the last 12 months. So during 2021, uh, one of our favourite and most successful investments in recent years um, to our mind, uh, had to be sold. And it was Orsted, which is the world's leading maker of offshore wind farms. Now, it may seem quite puzzling that with COP26 and with ever greater emphasis on increasing renewable energy production, that we should decide to sell this. Uh, But the trouble is that 
even when governments say they want more renewable energy, what we've got to keep an eye on as shareholders is whether the companies are making money out of this. And unfortunately, uh, making wind farms, building wind farms used to be a specialist business. And now you've got all the big oil companies coming in, uh, governments, um, and particularly the ECB offering very cheap loans to persuade more people to come in. So the margin on building these wind farms, unfortunately, is falling quite rapidly. And uh, that came at a time where Orsted's shares had done very well, and they didn't look good value for money facing falling margins. So uh, a company like, like that may carry on having revenue growth, but what really matters to drive a share price is whether you've got profit growth, cash flow growth. And we don't think um, Orsted will have enough of that to support the share price. So we sold the last of our holding and we're moving on. When you do get it wrong in terms of an investment, it makes sense to respond rapidly. And that's what Simon appears to have done here with Orsted. Charles Luke from Murray Income was left disappointed by medical product firm Smith & Nephew in 2021. Let's find out why. Um, One stock that hasn't worked during 2021 is Smith & Nephew. Uh, There are quite a number of reasons behind that. Uh, Firstly, the recovery in elective surgery has been uh, fragmentary uh, and certainly not helped by the emergence of the Delta variant and now uh, Omicron as well. Um, In addition, pricing in China has come under pressure from a move to uh, volume-based pricing in that market. Um, And then as well, uh, margin expectations have been downgraded for a variety of reasons, um, including foreign exchange, supply chain issues, higher freight costs, more R&D spend, um, and the impact of dilutive acquisitions. Um, Looking forward, though, uh, you can be more optimistic as the company should benefit from pent-up demand, margin pressures should uh, mostly reverse or ameliorate, uh, and the product portfolio is improving uh, and the valuation relative to its peers uh, is attractive. It looks like Charles reckons the issues facing Smith & Nephew will be short-term in nature, and I suppose we'll find out if that is the case as we move through the course of 2022. Finally, let's hear from Anna McDonald, who manages the TB Amati UK Smaller Companies Fund. She discusses how some of her holdings were left behind in 2021 amid a move away from quality stocks and into value, and why the recently floated chip maker Alpha Wave in particular didn't work out for her last year. Some of our highest conviction names, illustrated by our top 10, have not delivered the share price appreciation that we hoped for over the year, despite delivering earnings upgrades. A strong mid-cap and small-cap market has not raised all boats equally, and this has meant that some of our holdings are on a more compelling valuation now, particularly relative to other listed companies. The market has bought aggressively some cyclical stocks that have delivered upgrades to earnings and hasn't been rewarding the kind of quality growth stocks that we look to hold in our portfolio. Recent IPOs have struggled, notably Alpha Wave. We didn't take this on the day of the float, but after meeting management, we opened a position in June. At the end of September, FT Alphaville published an article which led to a halving of the share price. The article sought to portray the company's founder and chairman, John Lofton Holt, as having created AlphaWave's extraordinary revenue growth through questionable related party transactions. We understand that the content of the article probably came from one or two hedge funds that were short and getting burnt by the publication of a strong set of results. Having examined the potential issues around the related party transactions and reading the prospectus and quizzing management, we are satisfied that the insinuations in the article are wrong-headed and that the market is now significantly underestimating the potential of this very cash-generative business 
which makes 95% gross margins and saw revenue grow by a stunning 140% in its interim results. Hopefully all of those responses were thought provoking. It's great to be reminded that even the professionals can slip up at times and to get some insight into a real mix of different stocks and the challenges they faced last year. That's everything for today. Thanks a lot for joining us as always. And we look forward to bringing you lots more great content for the rest of 2022. If there's anything in particular you want us to cover or any questions you want answers to, then please email podcast at ajbell.co.uk. Next week, we've got the start of our Round the World series, where we talk to fund managers who invest in different global markets to get the outlook for that country in the coming year. Until then, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.